Amen. What up, Salt Company? I've missed you. I've missed you so, so, so much. Okay. Have you guys ever been part of a movement before? Or wanted to be part of a Muay immediately? Not even a thought. A movement. I, I kind of imagined I was part of a movement in the greatest year of all time, 2016. When the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Huge Cubs fan. Love the Cubs. And for those of you who don't care about sports, let me catch you up. The Cubs have been terrible for over 100 years at this point in 2016. They've been breaking our hearts over and over and over again. Haven't won a World Series. We are the lovable losers is one of our nicknames. And so the Cubs are in the playoffs and I'm like a delusional fan. I'm not like just a fan. I'm a delusional fan. And so with the World Series starts, and I'm in front of the TV every single game, sweating a little bit, yelling at the TV, getting really ticked when they lose, ecstatic when they win, and then they finally win. Boom. I was a part of it, right? I literally felt like I was a part of it. I, was, I kept like, as I was talking to my friends, I'm like, we won, we. I kept saying the word we. What if a week after they won, I walked up to one of the Cubs players and said like, Could you, can you believe it? We did this. We did it. What do you think they would say? We did uh, yes, I, I think that he would look at me like I was delusional because I, I was. And he was like, okay, you were literally sitting on the couch eating chips. I won that. I was a part of that team. I actually was a part of that movement. I was actually a part of something purposeful. Here's a hot take. I think one of the greatest hurdles for Christianity in America is going to be that people imagined they were part of a movement of God by just tuning in or showing up. But isn't that some of us in our own walks with Jesus? We imagine that spectating the wins of others is the greatest purpose for God in our lives. Spectating what other people are doing is somehow me being a part of the movement of God, the story that he's writing. Is that you? Or maybe has the past two years and the hardness of the past two years sort of changed you? Where you, you can kind of look back on, you know, three, four years ago, a random season in your life, you're like, I, I was on fire for God. I do actually remember that. I don't know what's happened this past season. I think everybody says that movements of God have just kind of a way of coming and going in our lives, but is that actually true? Because I think God categorically calls us to more. Do you believe that? God categorically calls us to more. Jesus has a movement in mind and calls his disciples to it. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Because when we hear God's word, we? There we go. My outline was inspired by Troy Nesbitt. And when I say inspired, I mean copy and pasted. I can't do a better outline than him. Thank you, Troy. All right. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, says, After this, the Lord, that's Jesus, J.C., 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, that's disciples, and, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go pause. What's happening? Jesus grabbed 72 of his followers. Apparently he has 72 followers. I didn't know that until that point. Like, okay, you've got 72 people, great. And he's like, all right, I'm about to go into these towns, but you guys go first. And you guys are going to declare that a movement is about to start. A movement is about to start. So let's see what kind of rah-rah speech he gives them, right? Imagine you guys are kind of the 72, right? You're kind of gathering like, all right, all right. Pump us up, Jesus, pump us up. Look at verse two. Jesus told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are what? The harvest is abundant, but the workers are what? Few. Few. He's using a metaphor, a farming metaphor. And in Iowa, we all say amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. He's saying, hey, look out into the harvest. It's white under harvest. Everything is ready to be harvested. And the harvest is unbelievers. He's looking out into the world and he's saying, wow, so many people don't know me, don't have a relationship with me. Their life literally has no purpose. No purpose whatsoever. He's saying, look at the world. Don't you see the lostness? And I think if, if he was to ask us that question, like, do you see how lost the world is? We'd be like, Ugh, yeah, oh yeah. They're terrible out there. Okay, you wanna know how you can be a part of a movement of God? I have three points. Point number one, I'd say it's step one. I wonder how you can be a part of a movement of God, how you can live your life on purpose. Step one, you see. That's it, see. Who do you see? You see the lost around you. My question is like, how do you think Jesus saw this? How did Jesus kind of like look at a crowd, people with makeup on, people who have tons of money, great clothes. By the way, you all look fantastic tonight. Can I just say that? You look very college trendy tonight, especially Madeline. Madeline back there looking very trendy, by the way. How does, how does Jesus look at a crowd that's probably very well off, very, very you know, kind of looking very good and see right through the lie that is on their face and see right to the heart and looks at them and says, wow, you're so lost. How does he see that? One of the reasons Kayla, my wife and I, were, when we kind of knew like God is calling us to plant a church in Bloomington Normal was one conversation I had with a guy. Matt Lyons, he grew up in Bloomington Normal his whole life. We're trying to figure out like, man, do ISU students need Jesus like really badly? We're trying to figure out the lostness of the campus. And he goes, Daniel, you know that students don't go to class on Wednesdays, right? And I was like, Wednesday? That makes, why Wednesday? And he goes, oh, okay, okay, you don't get it. I was like, no, I don't, please enlighten me. He goes, okay, so there's a bunch of pubs right off of campus. And on Wednesdays, there's these pubs right off of campus, they have great deals. And I looked them up, they're actually very good deals. And I was like, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> And he goes, he goes, he goes, now this isn't every Wednesday night, but most Wednesdays, there's a pub called Pub 2. There's the, uh, there's the line right there. It opens at 7.30. He says, they will leave class on Wednesdays and start lining up at the pub at noon. 
and the line will get so long that it'll start to snake around the building. He said, there have been nights where there's over 500 students and it starts to line around the block just to get into a bar. So you can tell, if, if you were taking an aerial view of that moment, you can see what they're centering their life around. Wasting their life. Guys, seeing the lost isn't just seeing the bad things that they do. It's not just seeing people, it's seeing people differently. It's seeing somebody post something that is completely against who you are and what you believe and not getting angry, but getting compassion. In Matthew chapter nine, it's kind of the, the mirror passage of, of this Luke passage. It says Jesus was going around, Matthew 9, 35 through 37, look it up. It says Jesus was going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, healing the sick, doing all these signs and wonders. And then it says this crazy thing in verse 36 and 37. He says, he looked at them and saw that they were distraught and dejected. They were hurting and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How many of you right now feel hurting and helpless? How many of you, at the moment before you came to truly know Jesus, it was in a season where you were hurting the most? Rick Warren, a pastor, great pastor, he was talking to a bunch of pastors on this podcast. <clears throat> he said, you want to know how you can grow a church? It's not by having a sexy service. He said, it's by reaching hurting people reaching, hurting people, which is literally everybody in this room. It's not just seeing people for the bad things they do. It's actually seeing what's at the heart of what they do. These people aren't looking for some, these people are looking for something to define them when it's really, they need to be looking for someone to redefine them. And that's Jesus. Salt Company, do you see people for who they truly are? Look at verse two. Jesus says a phrase right after it. He says, he told them that the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. But look at it again. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Jesus is saying, when I look out onto the football field of the gospel, the football field of the, of, of the world. He's saying that there are more Christians sitting on the bench than getting on the field. Not realizing that there is no bench. They've created it in their own minds. Guys, a crazy thing happened. I ran into an Illinois State student here in Ankeny. That, I don't know how it happened. God is crazy. His name's Michael. And I sit down with him. And I'm like, dude, you're at Illinois State. We're going to Illinois State. Like, tell me your story. I'm like, he kind of tells me his story. He's from Chicago, going to Illinois State. I'm like, okay, great. Like, do you know Jesus? I just went there. <laughs> so do you know Jesus? I don't know. Sometimes I just do that. I'm weird. And so he goes, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm a Christian. I'm like, great. Tell me, tell me how you became a Christian. He's like, so yeah, I'm part of a Jehovah's Witness. I'm like, wrong answer. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. 
Here's the thing. Somebody knocked on his door, classic Jehovah's Witness move, knocked on his door and share with him the good news of what Jehovah's Witness would say is the gospel. And here's, if you don't need to dive into it, essentially Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus exists. They just don't, don't believe that he was God. So therefore, whatever he was sold was wrong and it was false. And I'm sitting here watching him, I'm like, oh no, he truly does believe that he's going to heaven when he dies. And I asked someone, I said, man, what, what makes you love that church? And he said, I don't know, I just, they're just the first people that actually cared about me. They're the first people to care enough to say something. Right in that moment, right in that moment, would you say, and I want to hear you, would you say that Michael was still lost? Yeah. Clear as day. I could see it. He couldn't. And I'm not mad at that moment that he believed a false religion, I moved with compassion because I see how lost he is, like sheep without a shepherd. When it came to Michael, what I didn't know was that when my eyes were open to see his lostness, I was a part of a movement of God about to happen. You wanna know how you can be a part of a movement? It starts with you opening your eyes beyond yourself and seeing the lost. But the next step is you getting off the bench, okay? Look at verse two again. It says, Jesus told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. I'm getting ready for you to talk back to me. Therefore, what? What in the world was that? We're gonna start over. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Step number two, you wanna know how you can be a part of the movement of God. You wanna know how you can live your life on purpose for Jesus Christ. First step, you see. Second step, you what? Pray. You pray. That's it. You pray. You pray that the Lord will send out more laborers to reach the lost. Now, after your eyes are opened, God's like, no, 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 don't, don't go out there yet. No, 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 don't, don't. Ease up, cowboy. Get on your knees and pray. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm very aggressive. And I'm like, why are we praying? That's dumb. Why don't we just go do it? What's the point of prayer anyways? I've heard so many people say, well, if God is sovereign, right? You see where I'm going here. What, if God you know, has planned everything out, why do we need to pray? I think that's a very good question, actually. You wanna know how you can be a part of a movement of God? I heard Mark Vance tell this story, that back in the day, there was this one great preacher who was kind of this revivalist preacher. Like everywhere he would go, people, just movements of God would happen. People would get saved, people would get baptized. Churches would be started. And this guy went up to this preacher and was like, preacher, how do you start a revival? Vague, weird question. I don't know, I don't know why you would ask that. The preacher goes, simple. All you need is a piece of chalk. You're gonna take that piece of chalk. You're gonna to go to a room with a concrete floor. You're gonna close the door. You're gonna stand in the middle of that concrete floor and you're gonna draw a circle on the floor 
with that chalk. And then you're going to get into that circle. And you're going to get on your knees. And you're going to pray to God to start a revival in that circle. I think sometimes in a holy ambition to see a movement start in somebody else's heart, we neglect the fact that God needs to move in our arms. Clark Killingsworth is a pastor in Bloomington Normal. When we were still trying to figure out, are we called the plant in Bloomington Normal? I call this pastor, he's been there for 33 years. He goes, oh, Daniel. And he starts laughing. And I'm like, why are you laughing, dude? I don't even know you. He goes, I've been praying for a salt network church to plant in this town for five years. And I just hung up and I was like, we're going, <laughs> we're moving. Like, why else would we not go? God has clearly already gone before us. Clearly already gone before us. The more I pray, the more God breaks my own heart for those who don't know the love of Jesus and are headed for an eternal destination apart from him. Are you allowing God to start a movement in your own heart? How many of you guys have seen people wearing 1002 shirts around here ever? Five of you, great, awesome, liars. Um, so we all, I should have worn my shirt. Come on, Daniel, what were you thinking? Um, 1002 is quite literal. Oh, Katie, would you please stand up? Katie, Katie, come on, Katie. Katie, Katie, Katie. She's hating every moment. I want, it's okay, you can sit down. Just look at her shirt later. Um, so it's a 1002 shirt. Um, very trendy, very hip, very buttery soft, actually. Um, we have those shirts after Luke 10, 2. And all it is, is as an entire network, there's 23 churches in the SALT network, 23 churches. And all the staff, all the elders, and all the student leaders, right, student leaders, set their alarms for 10.02, either a.m. or p.m., and if you're a super Christian, both, and, and every single day, they don't just set it for like one time. They put it on repeat for seven days a week as a reminder to pray this prayer, to allow their heart to break for the lost, to allow themselves to tap into the greatest divine power in all the universe, to beg and call on the God of the universe to send out more laborers into his harvest. If you actually want to be a part of the movement of God, the easiest thing in the world to do is to allow God to move in your own heart and take out your phone quite literally right now. And I mean right now. And it's awkward because most of you aren't doing it. I mean right now. <laughs> and setting your alarm for 10.02 a.m. or p.m. It's going to go off after I'm done preaching. Enrique is probably going to yell 10.02. And we're all going to get in a circle and rally around and call upon God to start a revival among Des Moines Area Community College students. Amen? Amen? If you want to be a part of a movement of God, you don't just see the lost, you pray for the lost. Let's see where this rah-rah speech goes. Look at verse 2. Jesus told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Side note, I didn't even really understand that I was praying for Michael Barber the day that I met him, and neither did he but God was already breaking my heart for Michael Barber before I even met him. 
Boom, back to verse three, or two. Uh, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. All right, rah, rah, sup, Jesus. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Great. You wanna know you can be a part of a movement of God? First, you see. Two, you pray. And step number three, you go. Go. Point number three, go. Jesus says, hey, thanks for praying for laborers. Now go and be a direct answer to the prayer that you just prayed. (laughs) I'm sure all of them were like, ah, come on. Didn't realize that was what we were doing, right? But how he says to go is important. Look at verse three. It says, now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Uh, Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Cool, don't carry money or wear shoes. Why? Don't greet anyone along the road. Pop down to verse eight. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Gonna get fed, that's good. Heal the sick who are there. Apparently I'm a doctor. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Okay, so Jesus just said this. This whole rah-rah speech was, all right, you guys are gonna go. It's probably gonna be terrible. I'm gonna send you guys out. You're gonna be the lamb. They're gonna be the wolves. Also, don't take any money. Don't wear any shoes either. And you're gonna get kind of a mixed bag of reactions. Some people are gonna be like, great, this is awesome, great news. And other people are absolutely gonna hate it. So you're gonna say, hey, guess what? Your life is going to be a billion times worse because you had the king go right in front of you and you still rejected him anyways. Now shoo. Whoops. (laughs) Now shoo. How in the world, how in the world is this rah-rah speech supposed to start a movement that took over the globe? That makes no sense. No sense. Guys, God calls all believers to go because of the risk, not despite the risk. God calls all believers to go because of the risk, not despite the risk. But why though? Why does it have to involve risk? Why can't like being a Christian, we get to be the couch potatoes? Like, all right, start this thing, Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned, so hold up. Apparently they just went. We have no record of them going. There's this boom, verse 17, like they just went. Sounds good. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, Even the demons submit to us in your name. Okay, they go out and they are hyped out of their minds. And they're like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. We just went out and we just ran into demons. And even the demons submitted to us just by us saying, hey, in the name of Jesus, get out of there. And they they left. Can you believe it? Here's a brain-busting question for you, DMAC students. I know you can handle this. Let's go. When they were confronted with a demon, you know, foaming at the mouth, 
insane amounts of strength, you know, really deep, froggy voice, things you see in, you know, scary movies, whole nine yards. When they were confronted with a demon, in that moment, did they feel like the wolf or the lamb? Did they feel absolutely terrified or totally at ease? It's no big deal. Demon, who cares? They were terrified, right? They were clearly the lamb in that verse or in that situation. But look at verse 17. I want you to tell me the emotion that they have. It says the 72 returned with what? Joy. The 72 returned ecstatic that that just happened to him. So Michael Barber, let's bump back to that story. Michael Barber, he tells me his story. He's clearly lost. So I'm like sitting back. I'm like, all right. Michael, on a scale of one to 10, oh, here we go. Christian classic. On a scale of one to 10, how confident are you that what you believed in is going to get you to heaven? He goes, I think about a seven, which is actually pretty high. I'm like, great. You comfortable with that? He's like, yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm like, so you're telling me you're comfortable with there being a 30% chance of you dying and rotting in hell for all of eternity? He's like, well, if you put it that way, <laughs> not at all, actually. And so I kind of sat back and I was like, okay. That was risky. I'm glad he answered that way. Didn't punch me in the face. <laughs> and I said, brother, can I show you what God's word says about what you just believed in? Romans 3 says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 10, 1 through 3. I showed him how the Israelites were banking on what they could bring to God instead of depending and placing their faith on what Jesus had brought to them. And I kind of just like mic dropped it. And was like, so what do you think? <laughs> and honestly, he could have gotten up from that table immediately, and I wouldn't have blamed him. Literally, first conversation we had, I'm like destroying his entire life. And he goes, he literally had that like panic look in his eyes. Like, like what do I do with this? I said, don't you worry. I said, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says... For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not Michael, not anything else, not anyone else. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means Jesus said what he said, or he did what he said he would do. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose victoriously from the grave so that he could offer you a gift of salvation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's not a 70% chance that you'll be saved. You will be saved. And he looked at the facts of that Bible and said, yeah, that's what I want. And he placed his faith in Jesus. Yeah. God calls all believers to go because of the risk. Why? Because Jesus risked it all for you. And when I look at how Jesus risked the cross, 
it's easy for me to risk a conversation. It is so easy. It's not even a thought. And here's the thing. I'm always happy that I did. Even if Michael would have just given me the bird, punched me in the face, and walked away, <laughs> I'd have been like, hey, persecution. <laughs> right? God doesn't call us to fruitfulness. He calls us to faithfulness. He's like, hey, just be faithful. I'll bear the fruit. Don't you worry. I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to pick up that risk. And guess what? On the back end, you're always going to be happy that you did it every single time. And once I see people through the lens of the gospel, going is just a part of following Jesus. Guys, going isn't for the radical sheep. It's for the normal sheep who are just close to the shepherd. Going truly, I used to, when I was in college, when I was in high school even, I used to think that the people who planted churches, the people who went out on missions, the people who had those types of conversations with Michael Barber, I'm like, wow, you are so radical. Like, wow, super Christian, bonus points, cooler mansion in heaven for you, pal. Like, that's like genuinely what I thought. Is that how many of you guys have perceived Christianity before? I just kind of sit back and I'm like, not, not really. <laughs> These are 72 regular people who pretty much didn't know what the heck they were doing and were con being confronted with demons and didn't really know anything about the Bible. <laughs> and Jesus gives them the most depressing rah-rah speech of all time and they just like look at their buddy and they're like, okay, I guess we're gonna go do this thing. <laughs> I wouldn't say that they were radical sheep. I think they were just normal sheep walking closely with the shepherd and God worked miracles in front of them. You guys know we're planting a church. I wanna call out the names of all the people who've responded to the call to go. You guys ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Thank you. Brady and Kaylin Berkland, Jonah and Sierra and baby Christensen. Probably gonna name their baby Daniel, I assume, yeah. <laughs> Keaton and McKenna Wallace, David Nelson, Eli and Rachel and soon-to-be baby Christensen, Caleb and Taylor Ekstrand, Kayla Nemers, ho, 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 Andrew and Hannah Larson, Sean and Katie Callahan, Kevin and Katie Montez, Alan and Chelsea Van Gundy, Josie Thomas, Allie Brand, Nathan Bolt, Caleb and Emma Fruling, Madeline, very, very trendy tonight, Rogers, Daniel Miller, Casey Kay, Jenna, Kayla Jones, Rainier Manuel, Walker Cooper, Justin Schwamberger, Sarah Simons, Molly Whitcomb, Jake and Mad Dog Smithson, Jonathan Bufton, Marissa Bergstrom, Emily Anderson, Tommy Lee, Morgan and Taylor Lemansky, and Katie Bass. Those are the people who have been called to go. Oh yeah, come on. Those are the people who are called to move because they've been so deeply moved by Jesus. And I genuinely believe that not a single name that you just heard is one of the radical sheep. Not a single one. They're just normal sheep who, because they've been walking in such close proximity to the good shepherd, they don't think they're crazy for uprooting their lives. They think they're just normal. They think that this is just what Christians do because this is just what Christians do. So 
we responded to the call to go. But I want you to know that you're already a part of a massive movement called the Salt Network. I already mentioned it earlier. 23 churches, 24 salt companies. You heard me right. One of them has two. (laughs) Guys, why in the world would a movement of churches build their vision on the backs of the brokest demographic in the entire country? College students, let me hear you. You guys are broke. Yeah. You guys are like, yay, question mark. (laughs) Why? That literally, logically makes no sense. I've gone around the country telling everybody what we're doing, and they're like, why? That's dumb. Y'all are going to go broke in two years and close your doors. (laughs) Like, why? Why are you starting out this way? Here's the thing. You guys are in the unique season where, for the first time in your life, you are independent adults thinking independently about your lives, and if you grew up in the church, which is shockingly low percentage of people, you are for the first time thinking, is this my mommy and daddy's faith or is this my faith? Am I gonna choose the world or am I gonna choose Jesus? And guess what most people do when they're in college? They choose the world and they ruin their lives. And the church has been absent from college students because you're broke. Let's be clear, because you're broke. And here's the thing, of 19-year-olds that grew up in church, Barna Research did this, of 19-year-olds that grew up in church, 90% of them are not in church anymore. Because the church misses that window when you're 18 years old and you're a freshman and you're considering, do I want to follow God? Do I want to follow the world? The church misses it. But if we met you at that moment, we could create a disciple for a lifetime and we could use your energy, your passion and your vigor and your deep, deep, deep love for the one who deeply loved you and you are at a moment in your life where you will never be more free. You think you're busy, I'm laughing on the inside. You are never more free than you are right now. Never. It is a million times easier for somebody your age who doesn't have a steady career job, who isn't married, doesn't have three or four kids rooted in one area, it is easier for you to pick up your life and go do something crazy for King Jesus. Like go plant a church, like go overseas, like go and have a million Bible studies because you can't get enough of Jesus. Like going out on the campus of DMAC and Building 5 and just waiting for somebody to show up. Like showing up to a connection group, like doing crazy things for God that stick in the mud adults don't do. You are at a unique season. Your life matters. Your one life matters. And that is why Keystone has looked at the campus of DMAC and said, we are going to preach Jesus to them and spend tons of money on this ministry because your life matters and it matters to God and we wanna see you see, pray, and go after the lost and the hurting and change the entire culture of the campus of DMAC. Yeah, college students are broke. Absolutely you're broke. But I would argue that you are the most important kingdom investment a church could possibly make. God called my wife and I and this whole team to go to a college that's a party school full of students wasting their life because we wanna show them that God says they matter and their one life counts. 
And I know that many of you are a lot like ISU students. Many of you are a lot like the people that Jesus saw. Many of you, specifically this past semester, have been almost on this hamster wheel of insanity. You're trying something. You're, it, it could be something as, you know, dramatic as partying. It could be something as not dramatic but very common as depression. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying different things and you're going faster and you're going harder and you're trying this and you're trying that, but you are exhausted. There is no generation in the history of mankind who is more exhausted than your generation. Hurting and helpless. Dejected, rejected. Feeling like they're not seen. Feeling like they can't get up. And Jesus, when he looks at you and he sees your heart, he doesn't freak out and yell at you. He looks at you and wants to guide you. He looks at your life. He looks at your lack of purpose and wants to give you love and the most deeply meaning purpose imaginable. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he truly meant it is finished. The work is done. All the work you're trying to do to find purpose, it's already done. It was already perfected. Stop trying. Stop trying. Run to Jesus. The interesting thing about this passage is that God says to the 72, I want you to go before I go there. But the beautiful thing about us is that Jesus went before us. And he walked that long walk right to Calvary alone. It didn't just take on the sin of mankind. He took on the rejection of mankind and still paid for their sins anyways. If you feel like you're on that hamster wheel of insanity and you need rest, would you do exactly what Michael Barber did? And in that moment of shock, in that moment of realization, would you place your faith in King Jesus tonight? Would you not leave before you come to know the king who risked it all for you? Maybe, Holy Spirit's kind of giving me this, I'm going off the cuff. Maybe, it's not that you're not saved, it's that you're the one that left the 99 for a year. Maybe, this is your first time back in forever. Maybe you've been running around, you know Jesus, but for some reason you're just like I was for five years. You're trying to find that satisfaction and purpose somewhere else. God is once again calling you back. God isn't freaking out on you. We've actually been praying for you 
to not sit on the bench of your sin, but to get off the bench and go labor and do what your purpose is. Believer in the room, you want to be a part of a movement of God. You want your life to matter, to live on purpose. Jesus doesn't ask you to move a mountain. He asks you to open your eyes. He doesn't ask you to sprint a marathon. He asks you to get on your knees. And he doesn't ask you to be the giver of life. He asks you to go and speak the words of life into dying souls. Being part of a movement of God starts with you believing that through simple obedience, his gospel can change the world. Do you believe that, Salt Ankeny? God, I thank you so much for Salt Company. I thank you so much for the fact that as I look at your gospel, I look at what your son just asked it actually isn't crushing to my soul. He says, would you stop thinking about yourself and would you just see how lost everybody is around you? God, would you lift up our eyes? Would you lift up our eyes to see people who are dying, to see people who are just in the rat race of life and don't even know it, on the hamster wheel of insanity and don't even know it? Would we see them? Would you lift up our eyes? God, would we actually set our alarms and pray? Would we pray? Would we allow you to break our hearts for what breaks your heart the most? And God, would we go? I pray that tonight you would inspire Christians in this room who have been sitting on the bench and would you help them to to pursue a student who is also in this room who they know is not saved. Would you help them during this song to put their arm around them and then after they're done singing to enter into a conversation and say, hey, when he was praying, I was thinking about you. Can you tell me your story? I'm actually, I'm embarrassed. I don't know if you know Jesus. Would they risk that conversation? Because they're looking at this conversation through the through the lens of the fact that Jesus risked, risked it all for them. God, I pray for the weary. I pray for the hurting. I pray for the helpless. I pray for the distraught. I pray for the rejected people in this room that they would actually know that they're seen by Jesus. <laughs> Jesus sees their heart. Jesus has seen their past semester. He's seen their past year. He's seen their whole life. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus has been teeing them up for this exact moment for them to actually know him. God, I pray that you would move in their heart. Would you help them to humble themselves and actually place their faith in Jesus tonight? In your name I pray, amen.